middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. Wichita, Kansas, and beyond with Tommy Castor and Weston Mills. This is Keeper of the Games. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for checking out Keeper of the Games. We are the podcast that focuses on sports and everything happening in the world of sports in the air capital of Wichita, Kansas, and beyond. I'm your host, Tommy Castor, along with my co-host, Weston Mills, back for another episode. And Weston, this is a, I keep saying it's monumental episodes. We keep having like big things happening on the show. And what's monumental about today's episode is we are finally welcoming back the return of some sports and it's just going to be exciting to talk about that i hope you're ready for it tommy is everything that we've said is monumental probably this is the most we have a sports podcast and there's actually sports to talk about so this is fantastic i'm so excited i'm excited for for baseball to to kick off obviously the nba is returning excited for that probably not as excited as i am for baseball being a you know a real close royals fan and not necessarily having an nba team that i follow but just excited in general golf's back um, you know, UFC has been kind of going on, but full flow, but it feels like, you know, NFL training camp starting, like it's starting to feel like the good old days. Yeah. Just to put it in context, we started this podcast in I think the middle of February Yeah, and I believe we did four or five episodes where we actually talked about sports that were happening and recapping games and talking about performances. And then middle of March, as everybody knows, everything shut down because of COVID since that time, We've not had really any actual sports to talk about. We've talked about topics. We've talked about the draft. We've talked about, you know, all of these other things that are sort of on the outside of sports looking in. We're actually finally going to be doing some analysis on sports as Major League Baseball gets ready to get back into gear. It's been a long road, but I'm excited for it. Before we get to that, I want to remind you to hit subscribe. That way, anytime there's a new episode of the pod, you'll get a notification. Uh, And subscribing is the best way to know whenever there are new episodes. We try to do them at least once a week. Hopefully, we're going to be getting back to our twice a week schedule here soon. Uh, But you know, the last few weeks we've kind of changed up the days. So the best way to be in the know about when there's a new episode is to hit subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. That way you get a notification. You can find us on all the major podcast platforms out there like iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Pocket Cast. Basically anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast, you can find Keeper of the Games. On top of that, you can also watch full episodes on our website. That's cogpod.weebly.com, kogpod.weebly.com. Um, Also, you can watch full episodes on Facebook and Instagram, or I'm sorry, on Facebook and uh, YouTube by searching for Keeper of the Games and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at COGPOD. That's at K-O-G-POD. And uh, before we get into it, just another big uh, special thank you to Title Boxing Club at 21st and Rock Road. They are our sponsor for Keeper of the Games. So with that, let's get right into our top story. And our top story is Major League Baseball. Opening day, just around the corner. We are, from the time of this recording, less than 24 hours away from the first pitch of opening day for Major League Baseball. And uh, I think the biggest thing that, you know, we've alluded to it on previous episodes, Weston, is that there's just no way to actually accurately know what to expect from this season with Major League Baseball. But that being said, it's important and it's exciting that baseball is finally back. Oh, my goodness. It really is. We're getting to that point. It's it's kind of weird because... You know, I think baseball had a shorter runway up to their their season. Obviously, they kind of had started some spring training stuff before things got shut down. And then, um, you know, obviously, as we talked at length about the delay in negotiations to get things back going up again, it just feels like 
we got the news. It just feels like, you know, it was a week ago. I mean, and I know it's farther than that, but it feels like it was a week ago. We got the news. Hey, baseball's got it worked out. And now all of a sudden we're here talking about games and, and certainly it's, it's kind of an interesting feeling, I guess, too, knowing that opening day uh, is t- tomorrow or today as you're listening to this. And then most teams playing actually on on Friday for the first game, but we don't even have, you know, the, the this year's 30 man roster set um, that teams have until uh, so Thursday or today, as you're listening at 11 P or 11 AM to, to set those 30 man. So um, kind of an interesting feeling, you know, there's a lot of, I think most teams are probably shaped at this point, but um, it, you know, it is interesting you know, always seeing those bubble guys, those fringe guys, and especially with guys that, aren't going to have a minor league season. So if they don't make the 30 man, they're just, you know, practicing off to the side on their own, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. And I I definitely want us to go over a lot of those players for the Royals that, you know, may end up making the 30 man roster. They may not. We'll talk about the guys who are for sure locks uh, for Kansas city entering the regular season. But before we get to that, you know, Weston, I think there's a topic when it comes to the Royals specifically that was talked about quite a bit before COVID-19 hit. And then as soon as the virus hit, there really wasn't as much talk about it because there were other things going on. And that is, you know, the Royals have a brand new manager and Mike Matheny. This is a guy that we've not seen manage the Royals before. Obviously, it was Ned Yost for a number of years, you know, prior to now. Mike Matheny exited St. Louis kind of under bad terms, I would say. He wasn't, he kind of ran out of town a little bit due to some of his tactics in St. Louis. I know we've spoken about Mike Matheny a little bit on the podcast, but now that we're 24 hours away from the regular season starting for the Royals, what should Royals fans come to expect from Mike Matheny in his first season? You know, (laughs) that's, that is such a, Hard question given the circumstances, right? Because one, like you said, when he was kind of ran out of St. Louis, part of it kind of being a little bit slow and old in his ways and those kind of things. And, you know, he's spoken about, you know, being a little bit more open to adapting. You know, obviously we're we're in the era of sabermetrics and, and analytic driven baseball. Um, but with that being said, that's just talk, right? And we've got a 60 game season that is going to be like nothing else. Major league baseball has ever seen. So either way it goes. I mean, I think he's, I think there's going to be things he's going to do this year that he'll probably never do again. um, Just because of the 60 game season. But on the flip side, you know, we will get a little bit of preview of of, of what he's like to manage, but uh, it kind of gives him almost a trial run, I think, at kind of working out the Kings with this Royals roster that, you know, I know nobody's really expecting is ready to to compete for something this year and kind of gives him, you know, a 60 game run to kind of get it right where I would at least say that, you know, fans should probably give him a little extra leeway where, you know, it's a 162 game season and he's, uh, you know, he gets a little bit more criticism, I think, as that season goes, if he is doing some of the goofy things he said he wasn't going to do in the past and, and this and that. I think you kind of have to give him that leash um, with the 60 game and, and give him a chance to see what he's about. I don't want to get too far out in left field, uh, you know, talking about Mike Matheny and his shortcomings, but 
my concern, you know, and, and I think we talked about this before when he was hired in Kansas City. My concern wasn't necessarily about his in-game decisions. My concern was how he treated his players. And that was something that, you know, I know that there were issues when he was in St. Louis and that sort of helped, you know, lead him out the door uh, there for the Cardinals. So I hope that he's adapted to that some. You know, I hope that, you know, he obviously isn't, he's been an old school guy. He comes from the old guard, you know, where it's, you know, very, it can be pretty intense and it can be, you know, sometimes hostile, you know, in, in the clubhouse, depending on who you are and what, what your status is. My hope would be, especially with the Royal squad that for the most part is a lot younger. I mean, I know that there are some veterans that are still on the squad, but they're a relatively young team with some guys that have, you know, some good raw talent, but they need to be molded. They need a guy in Mike Matheny that's going to shepherd them along. It's going to mentor them along. That's going to be a guy to come alongside them and help them not be a guy, you know, who has the veterans try to haze the rookies like he was doing in St. Louis. And so that's been a concern of mine from the moment that they hired Mike Matheny. But I do agree with you that, you know, the fact that the Royals and pretty much every team in baseball, they've got kind of a trial run. I think that does benefit teams with first year managers. You look at Mike Matheny in Kansas City, you look at a, even a veteran guy like Dusty Baker in Houston and Houston's had all of this controversy over the last nine months or so. And Dusty Baker is a longtime veteran of the game a long time, you know, manager uh, in major league baseball, but you know, the, the Astros situation is, you know, that it's unique to, to him and it's unique to anybody in that position. So he's got 60 games to try to have a trial run there too. So I, I, I do think that it favors uh, franchises with a brand new manager because they get a chance to get it right in a season where it's a little bit unique and a little bit bizarre. Yeah. I mean, they're, I mean, that's definitely, definitely right. And I think, uh, Again, as we kind of transition away from Mike Matheny and talking about, um, you know, the players and kind of where things land, I I do think it's interesting because there's obviously pros and cons, right? I mean, there's some advantage to having a 60 game season for some of these teams that may not be competing, kind of being able to try a few different things out. For instance, um, every major league team only has to have their minor leaguers in the minor leagues, even though I know there's no games being played for five days. If they're in the, in the minors for five days, we're basically not on the active roster for five days. Then at that point, every major league club can call their minor leaguer up and they don't accrue service time. So it gives you an opportunity to get a lot of guys that, you know, are going to sit out the first week of the season and, and see a lot of reps and see those kind of things um, where they might not otherwise get to. Now, obviously the flip side, right, is there at, isn't minor league baseball being played. So those guys don't really have a place to go to, to really develop outside of just, you know, your traditional, you know, practice work that they will be doing uh, on their own or with coaches. Yeah. And I think that's an interesting point that you make. I mean, it makes you wonder if the 60 game season is really going to favor franchises that have a pretty deep farm system. I mean, you look at the Miami Marlins and, you know, they've been consistently ranked as one of the top farm systems, uh, you know, in baseball. And, you know, part of that obviously is this new Wichita franchise that hopefully we get to, you know, get to take the field in 2021. But it makes you wonder if, you know, you've got these, these franchises that have pretty deep minor league and really talented minor league systems if that's going to benefit them and maybe the teams that are more reliant on veterans uh, that maybe are their older teams, their, you know, teams that have guys that have been around for a long time, maybe the, that kind of quick season doesn't benefit them. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, 
all we're doing is speculating, right? Nobody's ever encountered this sort of thing before. So I think it's really, really hard to analyze it. And it's really like, I've, I've read articles about who's going to win each division and who's going to be, you know, the Cy Young winner and who's going to win, you know, win it all. I don't think there's really hardly any way to accurately gauge that because this is just such a different scenario. So I guess my attitude going into it is just enjoy the ride and see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. And I think to to that point too, I mean, with one injury on your team and that can cost you the season, because if a guy's out, you know, for two weeks or three weeks, that may be enough loss, you know, depending on obviously the value of that player, that may be enough loss that they, you just can't bounce back from that in such a short season. But I think that's going to make this season thrilling. I think it's going to make a lot of teams like, you know, I know obviously we were going into this season saying, Hey, the Royals aren't really ready to compete. And, um, but you know, I really do think with the 60 game season, anything can happen. And I think that makes it a lot more yeah. exciting. I think that's what has made the NFL so great is even if it's not probably a realistic thing to say, I think most fan bases go into the season thinking, Hey, we've got a shot this year or we're getting better. Maybe we could go on a run. And that, that kind of is what it feels like baseball is doing here. So yeah. I, I'm excited. It, it can- it completely changes the dynamics of the game. You know, 162 game season is a marathon, not a sprint. A 60 game season is absolutely a sprint. And so it's going to change the way that teams approach the game. Um, You know, each game, you know, like if I was watching a baseball game in the month of May, I didn't particularly care. I mean, I, I did if it was my team, but I wasn't on the edge of my seat about, you know, a game in May or a gay, a, a, a game in July. I'm going to be glued to pretty much every game, uh, you know, for, for, for the Royals and, you know, the other teams that I support throughout the entire season. Uh, why don't we take a look at, I know we did a Royals preview a couple of months ago, but now that we have kind of an idea yeah. of what a 30 man <clears throat> roster might look like for the Royals, right. why don't we go through position by position and kind of talk about who we're looking at. And so yeah. we'll, let's start, let's start with the catcher position. We know Salvador Perez is back. He's healthy. That guy is, you know, excited to be back playing baseball. He for sure is a lock in the catcher position. Yep. Uh, are there other catchers that you're looking at that might kind of be on the bubble? You know, I mean, there was, I mean, MJ Melendez was, but uh, so we, we do have a 40 man roster for the Royals right now. So and the only other catcher that they have right now is Cam Gallagher. So, I mean, it'll be, it'll okay. be, it'll be Sal and, and Cam. And obviously assuming Sal's knee can hold up, he'll be, I mean, he'll be your every, everyday catcher. Or I say, I say, knee i keep thinking it was his knee it was his shoulder but assuming you know he, he's healthy and good which he's had such an extended period of recovery he should be good to be penciled in almost every day one thing to keep in mind about cam gallagher is that he is on the injured list with COVID 19 right now oh, okay. so and th- you know there are a few players around the league that and we're going to talk about another one with the royals here in a little bit there are players that obviously have tested positive or they've been exposed to somebody who is positive and that throws a whole other wrinkle into it because now they're on the injured list you know, due to that exposure, due to testing positive. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how catcher plays out as far as the backup role for the Royals uh, getting into that 30-man roster. On the first base side, uh, you know, it was kind of a platoon last year. You know, you've got Ryan McBroom and Ryan O'Hearn. Those right. two guys kind of, you know, shared the the spotlight at first base for the Royals last year. I don't really, in my analysis, see anything different entering this season. I don't know if you do, but it looks like it's going to be the two Ryans again at first base. Yeah, absolutely. And Ryan O'Hearn, I think he also is on the injured list. Uh, yep, tested positive for COVID, which a uh, quick side note, um, uh, Royals have to be one of the hardest hit teams so far in the major leagues. Yeah. With, I mean, they've got, so since the start of camp, Salvador Perez, Brad Keller, Ryan O'Hearn, Cam Gallagher, Nick Denny, Daniel uh, Tilo. Uh, Jacob Junis and Hunter Dozier all have tested positive 
at spurts. Right. So if guys aren't all out right now, but since the start, it's got to be the hardest hit team um, in Major League. Yeah, and, and, and Hunter Dozier is the latest one to test positive. We were going to talk right. about that a little bit later, but he also is a guy that could play some first base uh, for the Royals as the season goes on if they need him to. But right now, of course, he's on the injured list with COVID-19. Right. Yeah, and you know I will expect him obviously getting mo- most of his reps out out in the outfield um, as they've have kind of transitioned him there. And um, but I do think so. Ryan O'Hearn is out. I think Ryan McBroom, well, he will start the year at first base. I think he's going to kind of take over a majority of those at bats at first base. He had a fantastic spring before they shut it down. I think he's going to be one of those guys that a lot of folks kind of fall in love with. I'm not saying he's going to have any spec a spectacular year, but I think he just has a real good personality a guy, a guy that people are going to really want to root for and, and will do well and kind of really win that spot out, but they'll certainly platoon them. I mean, Ryan McBroom, um, he hits right and Ryan O'Hearn hits left. So it's a perfect platoon situation between those two. Let's talk about second base a little bit for the Royals and talk about a guy that really, I think a lot of people were excited for in spring training before everything got shut down. And that's Nicky Lopez. Uh, you know, he's a guy that he finished 2019 uh, really strongly as well. Um, it looks like he's going to be a guy that's more than likely going to make the 30 man roster for the Royals. Uh, what do you see as far as the second base position there? Yeah, it's going to be a lot of Nicky Lopez. Obviously, as everyone knows, Mayorfield can play there in, at any point, I and mean, we can play anywhere on the field. But um, you'll see, you know, Nicky Lopez is going to get the majority at bats, I think. Uh, Wit will definitely slide in there at times as they just shuffle folks around. And, and I think you kind of have to. I would think one thing that managers probably will look at doing is maybe sitting a guy down, um, you know, when they start to slump a little bit quicker than you would in the past because you just don't have the time to just let a guy work through something um, if they're not performing. So I think you will see Witt slide in at second, but it's mostly just going to be him and, and Nicky Lopez getting those reps. Any changes or any concerns for shortstop for the Royals? I know that Mondesi was injured back in in spring training. Uh, any concern here? Do you think as we get into opening day? No, I don't think so. You're again. It's going to be a you know he's obviously the shortstop of the future and really a, a cornerstone of what they're trying to build around. So it's going to be Alberto Mondesi a lot. You know, obviously you, you could see Nicky Lopez slide over there a little bit. You could see Whit Merrifield play there a little bit. But I, I mean, Mondesi is going to be the everyday guy and and. Um, you know, I, without something catastrophic or an injury happening, you know, Modesty will be there on a day-to-day basis. One of the other kind of utility backup guys that might be on the bubble, but we could see him making the the 30-man roster for the Royals is uh, Eric Mihe. I think I said his name correctly, Mihe. Yeah. Uh, and he can play pretty much anywhere in the infield. So you could see him playing at second base, some uh, shortstop. He could be, you know, backing up at third base as well. Uh, so he could be a guy that could potentially end up on the 30-man roster also. Yeah, I think Eric Mejia, Mejia, uh, I think Mejia, he, Yeah, I think he absolutely – I mean, he'll be on this 30-man roster. His versatility is – way too great for the Royals to not use that, especially given the circumstances of guys going to be in and out. I mean, he, he can play every single position on the field. And I want to say I saw the other day, he actually caught an inning or two, you know, so he really? not only is he play, can he play out all the outfield, all the infield. He'll also, he's also the emergency catcher. I don't know if you guys remember back in the day, but Mike Moustakis used to be the emergency catcher in that kind of that world series run. Not, not that he ever had to do it, but apparently he caught in high school or something like that. But uh, Eric Mejia, it will be the, uh, he'll be the super utility guy and probably get to play quite a bit, uh, you know, as things are, are sliding in and out. 
You know, I'm, I have to say that, and this is kind of a side note, I'm not sure you were talking about how the Royals were so hard hit with COVID. I think also the Royals might hold the award for the most players that you really have a hard time pronouncing their names. <laughs> like, I don't want to be one of their broadcasters because you've got some some tough names that even though I've said them multiple times, when I actually get to it and I'm trying to say it, I end up bungling it every single time. There are some tough names. Yeah. And there's a, as we're, as we're going to work our, work our way down here, there's a new, a new player that I'm really enjoying his first name. So we'll get to that here in a bit. I'm, I'm going to let you segue right into that at third base for the Royals. So third base, uh, we're looking at Mikhail Franco and he is new this year, came over from, uh, well, he was with the Phillies. I can't remember. Did he have a pit, yeah. pit stop in between Philly and Kansas city? I don't think so. No, he, he signed as a free agent okay. from Philadelphia. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. He's, um, he's a guy that was a big time prospect for the Phillies kind of bounced around on having really good moments and then not having good moments. So, um, a huge upside signing here for the Royals. You know, he definitely would probably be a guy if he works out, if he takes off in the beginning of the season, like they think he can, um, he'd be somebody that would probably be looked at at trading around the deadline or, or, you know, even same concept into the next season. I don't think he's necessarily a future piece for the Royals, but a guy with a ton of upside and I'm excited to see what he can do. Kind of hits, can hit for average, can hit for power, plays pretty good defense. Um, and again, he'll be your everyday third baseman. In the outfield for the Royals, I mean, obviously there are some stalwarts that have been around Kansas City for a long time, like your Alex Gordon and your Whit Merrifield. There are some newcomers as well uh, that, uh, you know, whether they're getting into the outfield for the first time for the Royals or they're coming over from a new team. I really like the outfielders that the Royals have coming into this season. Uh, in my opinion, I think that's a strong point for them. What do you think? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's part of part of almost the, some of the toughest decisions they're going to have to make is going to be an out, in outfield. Um, obviously, Alex Gordon's going to be starting in left field. Every He's going to be there every day. I would expect just at his age and really with – uh, this point where the franchise is at, I think he will, you know, he'll probably have every fourth day off or something like that, really just because they want to build for the future. And he, I'm sure he understands that, but at the same time, he is the starting everyday left fielder. Um, obviously Whit Merrifield is going to start probably in right field. I think um, also plays center field, but where I think this is going, I think he starts in right field. Um at least to start the season. Let me give that caveat. And Bubba Starling, I think, is going to be starting in center field. And he has had a fantastic – he had a good spring. He's had – everything I've read has been great through their, um, I don't know, work while things were shut down. And then he's really started to explode. I think a, there's been a lot of um, upside about about him and people that are really excited with what he's doing. I, you know, he, Apparently, he's shortened up his swing. Uh, so what he's done with his swing is similar to – uh, the way Jorge Solar took off last year, not saying that those will be the results you're going to get, but it's kind of the same approach of how they worked with Jorge Soler. They have done that with Bubba Starling and seen really good things. Um, now when Hunter Dozier's back, I do think you'll see Witt slide over to center field and, and Hunter Dozier in right field. But those are your four um, consistent outfielders. And then with that being said, um, you know, they do have Brett Phillips who they traded for last year, or the year before I cannot remember. Um, he's a real fast guy, great defense, big arm in the outfield, just hasn't really shown it with the bat. Um, he is out of options, I do believe. And so he'd have to yeah. be designated for assignment if they let him go. Um, so that will be a tough decision, but I kind of think with where this is going, that might happen. And then they may try to immediately re-sign him. Um, so the, obviously the other, 
uh, addition in the outfield. And not, I guess it's not obvious, but while you were uh, getting excited for baseball, the Royals snuck a trade in there. Uh, this was in the middle of last week. They traded relief pitcher Tim Hill to San Diego for center fielder Franchi. And that's my uh, my new royal favorite first name, Franchi Cordero. <laughs> Um, and then, a, and then a pitcher, uh, by the name of Ronald Bolaños. And I don't know much about him, but Franchi Cordero was by far the prize of this trade. And I think a fantastic return for, for Tim Hill, who was a, a very good reliever for us, but Franchi Cordero, uh, just to give you all a little preview, because I do think you're going to see him make the 30 man. And I think he's going to play or rotate in pretty much right away. Uh, he was injured most of the 2018 and 19 season for the Padres, which is why you didn't see a lot of him. He's 25-year-old out of the Dominican. I mean, 6'3", 226, big guy. He's listed as a center fielder, but I, I would imagine he's probably going to slide all over the outfield. Uh, he hit, so this is his 2017 season, and you can see why uh, so many folks are excited about the prospect of Franchi Cordero. So, and this was at AAA, mind you, but he hit 326 with an on-base percentage of 369 and slugged 603. Had 17 home runs and 15 stolen bases. Uh, that was again, that was in AAA in 2017. But you can see why folks are excited about him. He's he, he rate, yeah. rates out at the top 10 percent in sprint speed, which I couldn't tell you what that number was. I just saw the the percentage. Um, so he you know he hits for power. He hits for or he's fast all, all over the outfield on the path on the base paths. Uh, he hit the second farthest home run in the 2018 season, which was 489 feet. Um, so you can see why the Royals are excited about getting him. And I think just for that reason alone, and especially with a 60-game season where there's going to be plenty of room to try folks out. I think you're going to see Franchi Cordero make the 30-man and be um, utilized, really, in the outfield. The biggest question, I think, is going to be on the outfield for the Royals is how many outfielders are they going to carry? I mean, that's, you know, I think we mentioned like seven guys. That's a lot of outfielders to, to carry on a 30-man roster, and there are some options that they can they can play with and they can work around with. But a couple points to what you were saying that I want to make is how great is it to finally see a guy like Bubba Starling come along yeah. and finally finally be a consistent contributor for the Royals. He's a guy that's been a project for so long for Kansas City. The Royals have put so much stock into him. There was a period of time that it didn't look like he was going to make it. It didn't look like he was going to be a big leaguer with the Royals. You know, He had a cup of coffee for a little while, a couple seasons ago, I guess, but there really wasn't a whole lot. I mean, it looked like all of that investment into him was not going to pay off. And then Something happened, and now all of a sudden, you know, he, I, I I do agree with you. I think he's going to be a guy that you're going to see start quite a bit uh, for this Royals franchise uh, moving forward. Also, on top of that, you know, you've got some guys like you know you were talking about this new new Franchi Cordero who's going to be an option in the outfield for for Kansas City. Alex Gordon, he's not going to be able to play every single day like you were mentioning. Uh, so they they've got some pieces where they can kind of move around and play. Once Hunter, once Hunter Dozier comes back off the injured list, you're going to see him play in the outfield quite a bit too you know so they definitely have options and like i mentioned before you know i do think that their outfield is probably you know one of their their strongest assets uh coming into this season we would obviously be remiss without mentioning the designated hitter jorge soler right. for the royals who you know he has been one of the only bright spots for this royals franchise over the past couple of years um i mean what is there to say about a guy like soler uh you know he he brings the fireworks pretty much night in and night out out uh, for Kansas City with his production. Um, and he's a guy that I know Royals fans everywhere, they're sure grateful that they have, uh, you know, because 
like I said, there hasn't been a whole lot else to get excited about over the years. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, and I think especially with the depth in the outfield this year, you know, he is only going to play designated hitter. I don't think you'll see him yeah. many reps at all out in the outfield. Um, and another name that I that I missed, who I do think for sure makes the um, the thirty man in the outfield, is Nick Heath, um, who's been in the minor yeah. system for a while, but a real speedster. And I think because of that reason alone, he probably makes the thirty man to kind of be able to utilize on the base paths with his defense. Um, but really, I think, which I think, like I kind of mentioned in the beginning, really that leaves Brett Phillips as the the odd man out because, t- and technically, Jorge Soler is an outfielder. Um, but obviously we know he's he's more of just a DH. But I think that leaves Brett Phillips out and maybe, maybe, maybe Nick Heath. Yeah, before we move away from, from the Royals and our, our talk about their 30-man roster, we talked about the strength of the Royals, and in my opinion, is the outfield. Let's talk about their weakness, and it's been their weakness for the last couple of years, and that's that's pitching, that's starting pitching for Kansas City. There are still a lot of question marks about what is the rotation going to look like for Kansas City, and I thought this was really interesting. Uh, I didn't realize that once the Royals, and I, I know that this season is really crammed in, they're trying to get as many games in you know, over a short period of time, but once opening day happens, on Friday, the Royals don't have another day off until August 10th. That's a long time to go without a day off. So the Royals can't go with just a four-man rotation. There's no way that the the pitchers are going to get that kind of rest that they need. They're going to have to go with a five-man rotation. That's a big question mark because as far as I can tell, and maybe you've got some information that's different than mine, but as far as I can tell, they maybe have two guys that are for sure a lock in the rotation. I'm looking at Danny Duffy and Jacob Junis. I don't know if there's another guy that 100% has solidified himself to be in that rotation. Yeah, I, so I would say uh, to your point, um, those two are probably the, the the two you know. Obviously, Brad Keller's on the injured list right now. Actually, Jacob Junis right. is as well, but Keller, Duffy, and Junis locked in. And then the fourth who actually is locked in is Mike Montgomery. Now, he has not pitched to a level to earn that, but just where he's at in his contract, I think because of that alone, he's locked up the fourth spot. Um, and what we know now, which I think most, while pitching is the weakness, I think the exciting part for Royals fans is the youth that we have at pitching, which yeah. we have not had in years. Even during the World Series runs, there was not guys coming up. I mean, you remember Brandon Finnegan's coming up in his moment that yeah. he had, but really we just didn't have arms in the farm system that we could really they know, were, rely on. They, they were making trades for guys like Johnny Cueto That's because right. they didn't have anybody in the farm system to come up and pitch for him. That's right. But And so in what we know now is it has been announced that Brady Singer, who was the 18th overall pick in the Royals' first pick in the 2018 draft, will start um, the fifth game of the season, which um, says a lot to me about what they think about Brady Singer because, like I mentioned, had they just not had him on the 30-man for five days, they would have gained an extra year of control, and they – they basically yeah. just – and Dayton Moore was on record saying, I'm not going to manipulate time. That's not what we do here. If he's ready to go, he's ready to go. And they're giving him the call up right now. And everything I've seen, everything I've read, he's just had a fantastic spring. And there is just a ton to be excited about this guy. Um, so it's going to be fun to see him right off the bat. You know, I think um, obviously that leaves you with Duffy – well, so <laughs> Montgomery, Singer, and then I think my understanding is we're going to get – I think we're going to get Junis back in time or maybe no, maybe we're going to get Keller back 
Yeah, I think it's going to be Keller who's going to be back before Junis. So those four, and then the fifth you're looking at will probably either be Jorge Lopez or Glenn Sparkman that that fans remember from last year that neither really did a whole. I mean, I think both had moments. Again, they're not guys that you're looking for a long-term. Jorge Lopez has really, really good stuff. He's just never been able to control it. So, I mean, I guess that that would maybe – uh, cause some excitement in in the Royals fan base um, if he could pull that together. But I don't think, uh, you know, I think the the other name that fans would be much more excited about getting called up is Foster Griffin, um, mm-hmm. young guy who who shows a lot of promise as well. And I do think he's, I think he very well could, could end up sliding to that fifth spot at some point throughout the season. Yeah. So I, I think that, you know, what's concerning about the pitching for the Royals is that this isn't something that we as pundits, I guess, or members of the media, you know, are, we're not the only ones that are asking questions about this. I mean, the, the, the staff themselves, I mean, Mike Matheny himself is on record saying we're gonna have to get creative and figure it out. Like there that I don't, I can tell he himself is not confident about this rotation behind, you know, the top couple of guys. And so, you know, I, I know that one thing Mike Matheny has talked about a couple different times uh, in this relaunch of the season is Maybe guys like Sparkman or Lopez, they could be openers. They could pitch an inning or two and then turn it over to somebody in the bullpen. Uh, you know, so they're they're going to have to get creative and try to figure out exactly what that looks like. My only question remaining when it comes to pitching is, do you think there's any chance that we see Asa Lacey before the season is up? Uh, no, I don't. And I don't think uh, – so he's not on the 40-man, um, which doesn't necessarily mean that he, he couldn't be, especially with all the – they're going to have a ton of IL movement, you know, guys yeah. going on that injured list and yep. moving around. But I don't really think we will. And I think probably the main reason why – probably not because he's not talented enough to do so. There's a lot of young arms that have been in the farm system for a few years that probably deserve that shot first um, to really prove what they have. I mean, you've got – you know, obviously you got – like I mentioned, Foster Griffin, you got Jackson Kowar, you got Chris Bubik. I mean, all those guys that have been doing it in the Royals farm system for a while and, and been doing it very well, uh, probably deserve that shot before uh, Ace Lacey gets called up, I think. Um, but before we do transition off starting pitchers, I want to go on record that I think Danny Duffy's going to have a fantastic bounce back year. Um, I don't know if it will Great. be. It may not match his best year, which probably was, what, two years ago? or maybe two or three years ago, but I I think he's going to have a really good bounce back year. I've heard he's got, he's been looking like he's got a lot better control this year. And um, I'm hopeful because that guy deserves it. He's a fan. He's such a fun, fun guy to watch pitch. Um, Always so warm and welcome to the the fans, the media, just, you know, he's, he's, he's a guy that, that deserves to have this bounce back year. Well, and last but not least, let's talk about the bullpen a little bit sure. for the Royals. So, you know, there there were some guys that, uh, you know, they while the starting pitching wasn't very good last season, there were some flashes of some some good relievers that came in for Kansas City and at least helped stop the bleeding a little bit from the way the starting pitching performed last season. What do you see in the bullpen for Kansas City? Yeah, I mean, Ian Kennedy is going to be your closer again, and then they've actually brought some interesting names, um, you know, into, into camp. They've got Tre- uh, Trevor Rosenthal, who – you know, he used to throw smoke for, for the Cardinals. Yeah. Um, who's kind of, you know, trying to get that bounce back, uh, stop in Kansas city. I, and I do think they've, they've liked what they've seen out of him. Um, so I think for sure he probably ends up my guess, maybe as the setup man, or at least middle relief out, out, out of the bullpen. Then Josh Stamont, um, who most Royals fans know he was, he's been in the, the Royals farm system for a bit and he touches one oh one, one Oh two. Um, I mean, throws absolute smoke, um, he's had a really good spring as well. So he'll definitely, um, be 
probably vying for that setup role. And then Kyle Zimmer, we all know who just hasn't been able to stay healthy. Um, he'll definitely be um, in that bullpen. I, I think for sure. Cause he has the last couple of years as he's transitioned into it out of the bullpen, he's, he's done fairly well. And I, and I think that the, the Royals are kind of hoping that they can get maybe even that kind of, uh, if you remember, that's what they did with Luke Koshaver back in the day, you know, he was mm-hmm. that big yep. time prospect who just didn't make it out. And then they, as they transitioned into the bullpen, it worked really well. And I think that's kind of what you're seeing maybe now out of Kyle Zimmer. Um, other than that, I mean, you the couple of, names that you'll that you know you know um not jacob junis um jesse hahn who they had last Mm -hmm. year they signed him out of uh, oakland and was hurt all year he'll be out of out of the bullpen he can kind of do that long relief like you mentioned if glenn sparkman or somebody were to open the game and pitch an inning or two um jesse hahn would be someone that could come in and throw three or four um obviously you saw a lot of kevin mccarthy last year who pitched really well for them um and then the other, I'm missing one. J, uh, Richard Love, Love Lady, and then I'm trying to think who's the other long relief. Um, I can't believe I'm missing a name here. So he, here's a question for you on the bullpen for Kansas City, and this is something that I know you know a lot of people have been speculating on, and you know what that's going to look like. Is Greg Holland going to make the 30 man roster for Kansas City? Boy, I I hope so. Um, you know, yeah. I, I haven't seen much one way or the other about how his spring is gone, which probably worries me more than anything. I kind of feel like, you know, if he was having a good spring, that would definitely catch some eyes. And I certainly may have just missed that news, uh, but I'd love to see it. And I mean, again, he's another guy that I mean, just for old time's sake, you'd love to see him back in a Royals uniform and pitching some games. Yeah. You know, if you can move him on to a contender or something at the deadline who needs some, some bullpen arms, I think that'd be fantastic. I mean, him and him and Rosenthal both, I think set up well, um, to do that. So I, I'd love to see Greg Holland, but I, I am a little worried that that might not play out. Well, that's the breakdown of the potential 30 man roster for Kansas city. We wanted to go position by position and talk about the team and what we're looking at and who uh, is a lock and who might be a possibility. And the most exciting thing that I'll say Weston is that by the time we do our next show, we'll actually have games to be able to talk about <laughs> and right. actually look back on and see how they played and, and so on and so forth. So uh, that's our Royals breakdown here on keeper of the games. We're going to transition and do uh, uh, with the Wichita whip around a little bit early here today because we've got a lot of news regarding the world of sports in Wichita. We're going to start off by talking about the NBC World Series, which, you know, uh, Weston, you and I talked about a couple of weeks ago. It was right after the wind surge announced that their season was not going to be happening uh, in Wichita. And we talked about the NBC tournament and about how I think I remember saying, you know, if, if there's a way that the NBC tournament can be played, they will find a way to make it happen. It's just that they're not going to cancel it unless they absolutely have to. Well, that's the case. The NBC tournament will go on as scheduled and they're going to be splitting uh, the, the, the tournament sites between X stadium on the campus, of Wichita state uh, and in Hutchinson, uh, which is a little bit different. And we'll get into that and kind of talk a little bit about why that might be the case. Kevin Jinks, who's the director of the NBC tournament, uh, he talked a little bit about what that uh, what that those sites look like and really what the NBC tournament has uh, both at X Stadium and at Hutchinson. We appreciate Wichita State and Reno County and Hutchinson being able to, to host our event because if not, then we probably wouldn't be playing this year. So I think that's a really telling quote, Weston, where he basically said, if it wasn't for X Stadium and if it wasn't for the folks in Hutchinson, the NBC tournament wouldn't happen at all. My question with that is, 
there's Riverfront Stadium, brand new, setting empty downtown. What do you think's going on there? Yeah, so I, you know, I, I think there's a lot of a lot of question um, with that, obviously. But you know, I, I mean, I my only guess would be that maybe they're wanting the wind surge to be the first game played in that brand new stadium instead of, you know, letting someone else kind of steal that true opening day from the stadium. But you know, I, I guess I just don't know. I mean, especially with X Stadium being in Sedgwick County. It's hard to wonder. I mean, I could understand, like, obviously, Hutch being in Reno, different counties going to have different restrictions and those kind of things. But we don't have when we don't have um, or when X Stadium is in Sedgwick County, I'm not sure that that makes any sense. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, they're going to be splitting these two locations. You know, X Stadium is a fine place to watch a baseball game. I've watched many baseball games there, you know, before. Uh, the other location in Hutch is at Hobart Detter Field uh, there in Hutchinson. I'm, I'm not really that familiar with, with that location, but I do know X Stadium is a fine place to watch a baseball game. It's just interesting to me that, you know, part of the reason why the NBC tournament moved to X Stadium last season was because they were building Riverfront Stadium and it, it wouldn't have worked. Well, now that stadium is built, I recognize that the wind surge, they're not able to play. I would just say it's a little disappointing to me that there wasn't there, there wasn't an agreement that was able to be reached. So at least there could be some baseball happening in this brand new marquee stadium that everybody has been waiting for. And I, I get I get the whole wind surge angle that they want to be the first ones in the stadium. I get that. But these are some interesting circumstances. And it's kind of I just think it's a little bit disappointing. Yeah, and, I mean, you, and you almost have to wonder, too. I mean, that was the only thing I could think of that would make sense. But, you know, because of that, I almost just wonder if there's something else going on behind the scenes that, you know, we don't know about because you would think that they would want to get some revenue into that stadium. Right. And really, I guess maybe the other thing, too, is they've probably known for a long enough period of time that things weren't going to happen, that they just weren't going to be able to staff that stadium appropriately to hold an NBC tournament. You, I mean, I still kind of think there would be some workarounds with that, but I mean, that is kind of maybe my other thing that I'm thinking, or they just don't want to take on the liability that might be associated with hosting a tournament sure. in the middle of this. I, that's about all I can think of. So uh, face masks will be required for anybody who goes and watches the game. Uh, but at least now, and I know that there have been some changes as far as uh, what Sedgwick County is doing as far as limiting public gatherings to 15 people. I don't know at the time of this recording, I don't know if that impacts the NBC tournament or not, but is from what we know right now, fans will be able to attend as long as they're wearing a face mask. But of course that could always change. It's going to be a double elimination tournament. August 3rd through August 10th. And again, that's going to be at X Stadium on the campus of Wichita State and then Hobart Detter Field in Hutchinson. So that's the update from the NBC tournament. Now, another update about another local sporting event that will take place without any fans, and that's the 2020 Wichita Open out at Crestview Country Club in September. So that announcement was made just a couple of days ago that the tournament will go on as scheduled. It had been postponed from June to September. It will go on as scheduled, but without spectators. I don't know about you, Weston. I think it was a matter of time before that decision was actually made. And I really don't think it's that big of a deal at the end of the day. I mean, I know that the Wichita Open generated a ton of money and, you know, that the charity support, the nonprofit support was through the roof and, you know, the support of the community. But if you're trying to find from the from the context of just the sport, if you're looking at a sport that can be played without people 
it's it's golf. So I, I think that makes sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think, you know, obviously it's great that it's, I mean, they're still carrying on with the, with the event in Wichita. And it's not like Wichita has to worry that, you know, they were the one tournament that couldn't get it sorted out to have fans there. I mean, this is happening all across the nation. So it's not like, you know, Wichita is, you know, going to be shed in a bad light or anything because of this. So just like you said, I think it was inevitable. It was just a matter of time before that it got announced. And certainly I'm sure everyone will be looking forward to the 2021 Wichita Open. Absolutely. So the 2020 version will take place September 24th through the 27th. Good news, though, that all the pro-ams and all the golf events will take place as scheduled. Uh, so those will continue on uh, like they were planned to. The other update, we have a couple more updates we want to run by you really quick as far as Wichita area sports are concerned. The MIAA has announced that they're going, going to be delaying the start of all sports practices and competitions. So the, in the Wichita area, that impacts Newman University. We've had Blake Cripps on the program a couple of different times to talk about Newman. Uh, I, I know the last time, last week we had him on, he was talking about how he was feeling a little nervous about what was going to happen with the MIAA moving into the fall season. And we have our answer now. So as of now, the MIAA, uh, they are delaying the start of all intercollegiate athletic practices until the week of August 31st. And the start of competition will be delayed until the week of September 28th. So Newman doesn't have a football program, but it does impact uh, other uh, conference schools that do have football programs like uh, Pitt State and Emporia State and Fort Hay State. Mm -hmm. Those schools will be impacted by this. Um, do you, I mean, what do you think about that? I mean, I know that obviously th that delay of the season, you know, that could end up cutting some games potentially from the schedule. Yeah, I mean, and I think the worry that a lot of folks are, are having with this and no disrespect to the MIAA, but I think, you know, a lot of sports fans nationwide are thinking more on a bigger scale that, hey, MIAA is doing this. Uh, you saw the Ivy League do this. I think it was like the CAA yeah. or I can't remember what conference that was um, has already, you know, has done something like this. And I think the next domino to fall may be, you know, some of your power five type schools. Obviously, <clears throat> it looks like they're trying to get some testing and protocols in place and it uh but it is gonna you know it's gonna have taken effect and i mean you've already seen like for instance the kansas jayhawks uh gonna lose their home opener and i, now I can't remember yeah. who they were playing but that that new hampshire, new hampshire. Playing that's new right. hampshire. Yep. yep that's right and they're you know th so they lost that home opener and they'll probably look to do some things there but disappointing for those student athletes in the mia but hopefully you know maybe a full season's not lost and it's just just starting with the delay yeah, even the American Conference. I mean, I know they're not a you know technically a Power Five conference, but they've even announced that they're delaying the start of their fall season. That will impact Wichita State in a variety of ways with their fall sports. Obviously, the Shockers don't have a football program, so we're not talking about that. But you know, volleyball and some of their other right. programs they have in the fall that's going to be delayed as well. So I think you're starting to see it creep up. I mean, you obviously we talked last week about how uh, the the junior colleges nationwide they're pushing all their fall sports to the spring. That domino fell, you know, like you mentioned, some of these smaller conferences in Division One, they're starting to do the same thing. It will be interesting to see how the Power Five conferences, what they end up doing. There's so much more money on the line when it comes to football. That's going to be really interesting to keep our eyes on for sure. Uh, but yeah, the MIAA announcing that they are going to be uh, delaying the start of their athletic season. All right. So that is our Wichita whip around. We're going to talk about high school sports now across the state of Kansas here before we wrap up uh, keeper of the game. So 
it's there's been a lot of back and forth and you know things changing pretty much by the minute at one point we thought that high schools in the state weren't going to even get back to classes until after labor day after the executive order was signed by governor laura kelly but even just a couple of hours ago from this recording the state board of education voted to reject that executive order. So now local school districts can open whenever they choose to. Now, who knows what that's going to look like. But Weston, I know you have some information about what that means for high school sports across the state. Right. So once the Board of Education uh, kind of rejected that, really the next thing we were all looking to was, well, what is Keisha going to do? What is it, you know, the Kansas State High School Athletic Association going to do? And they have ruled out um, – kind of their their guidance on this so and it really goes sports by sports and it it, it goes quick i know you're thinking i'm going to read you a whole bunch of stuff but like boys soccer they can have one competition per week uh cross country limited uh, crowd sizes and face coverings when needed um football i'm not even sure what this means but they say jamborees are discouraged so i don't know if that's like seven on seven type events because you don't really have i was thinking like pep rallies that was the first thing that came to mind for me it was like a pep rally but maybe not i know that might be i don't i don't know but it says in social distancing for those uh on sidelines not playing volleyball tournaments are discouraged but looking at quads as largest gatherings which is a pretty popular format for volleyball um and then girls golf well and i think boys golf too you know you got a shotgun start uh format there and then really, I think uh, here, some of the telling stuff, I think more is, is what they're doing that, you know, the, the guidance they issued with, with football. I know that's obviously high school football kind of rings, you know, reigns King here in, in the Metro area, but they have some interesting things. I mean, that you know, they're maintaining social distance, uh, distancing guidelines while on the sideline practice when possible, but then obviously guys are going to go smash into each other after that. Um, right, right. Face coverings are permissible, but not, it, it, it reads to me as not required, um, which, I mean, obviously that would be an incredibly tough thing to do to play a football game or any sporting event with the face mask on, but nonetheless, right. it doesn't seem to be required. Um, they're, Gloves are per, uh, permissible. They're going to keep non-essential personnel off the sidelines and practice fields um, throughout a contest and a practice. So, you know, I wonder, you still with football, you've got a lot of things that go on. You've got the guy that's got the, you know, the down marker. You've got the chain gang. you got the ball boys. I mean, there's yeah. a whole lot to go into this. So I don't know if you may see, you know, teams basically, hey, we're going to get some JV guys and they're going to run, run the chains. We're going to get the freshman kids going to be the ball boy. Um, you know, we'll get another guy off the team to do the ball marker to kind of limit exposure to, to folks, uh, out there. But those are kind of some of the things I think it's going to create for a very interesting season. And I think the thing that's probably the most important that should be noted is right now where it stands is the superintendents of these school districts are given the leeway to kind of make some decisions. So just because we're at a point where things could go on a schedule, that doesn't mean that they're going to. And I think that's the, that's, that's sort of the rub a little bit, right? Is that you could have a team that has, you know, scheduled all these different games and they're committed to playing, but the superintendent of one school is like, no, we're not going to do that. So now that it's left up to the local school districts, you could see some things change quite a bit. I mean, the, I guess the one I don't know, positive thing about what the the governor was trying to do is that it was a mandate across the board. So there was at least uniformity. Everybody knew 
when the activities are going to be pushed back to, at least for now. Uh, but now it, it's kind of a free for all. Everybody's kind of on their own to figure it out for themselves. And, you know, who knows what superintendent is going to do what right. and how that's going to impact, you know, a particular team. I know a lot of the football coaches, especially in the city league, you know, and I think football coaches everywhere want to play, right? They want their season to happen when it is supposed to happen. And there's been a lot of reaction about what might end up happening for high school football. Let's hear from Northwest uh, High School in Wichita, head coach Steve Martin, about his thoughts on the upcoming football season. When you start looking at states that we're used to, Nebraska, Iowa, Missouri, and they're all playing and they're starting August 10th and they're telling us, you know, just a, you know, two hours, three hours to the east and four hours to the north that they're playing. That's that's a hard pill to swallow. That's got to be tough, you know, for those coaches that, you know, they, they see their colleagues in neighboring states, you know, that they're getting out and they're going to be able to play on schedule. And now there's question marks. And even though the order was rejected by the State Board of Education, like you mentioned, the superintendents have the leeway to make decisions for their district. So it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. But one thing is for sure, and whether you're Steve Martin from Northwest or you're Brandon Clark from Derby or you're a, you know, a football coach out in Western Kansas, one thing is for sure, they want to play football. You know, there's, I mean, there's no doubt, and I know the those boys that are, are ready to to suit it up on on Friday nights are, are you know just ready to be out there. Um, but you know, I want to go back for a second because I I think kind of the the counterpoint or or I guess the thing I like about what the the board of of or the board of education has done essentially is, you know. It, well, uniformity across the state of Kansas does give predictability to schedule and those kind of things. I don't know that the, the kids out in Goodland need to be under the same kind of restrictions and testing and those kind of things as the kids in the middle of Wichita, you know, at East High School and, and kind of what they're exposed to. And, and I just, I, you know, without leave with leaving out the conversation of whether they should or shouldn't playing. I mean, I'm certainly no expert, so I'm not qualified. I, I just do wholeheartedly think that the answer is not going to be the same for all the schools across the state. So if you've got a conference full of teams that are at just minimal to no risk, you know, there's really no reason I don't think why you should and penalize is a, is a weird word to use, but penalize them, you know, just because other parts of the state are, are at higher risk and, and they shouldn't be playing. So that's kind of my only thought. Now, with that being said, you know, superintendents across the board may say, nope, we're not playing until we can get this thing under control. Or you may, or the other way, superintendents superintendents across the board may all say, yep, I, I think we're fine. Let's get it going. Well, at the time of this recording, we still have more questions than we have That's answers. Right. And I think I think everybody does. I think all the coaches do, the districts do, uh, the players for sure do. There just really isn't a clear answer on exactly what's going to happen. At least we do have a little bit of guidance from, uh, from Keisha on exactly what that might look like. One, uh, one area in football that is positive in the state of Kansas was the Shrine Bowl that happened uh, not too long ago. And it was what, what did you tell me, the third football game? Yep. in the country played after COVID launched. Uh, and so I, that is a bright spot in the world of football in the state of Kansas. Yeah. It, and I, I understand when ultimately we're, we're getting down to, to the, the brass tacks of things. It is just football and especially the Shrine Bowl. You know, it is a game that ultimately holds no meaning, but boy, does it ever for those kids who were selected to that game. And it's such a high honor, you know, uh, it, and it's, this is their only, I mean, there's not a next year, 
um, you know, for most of those kids in the Shrine Bowl. So it, I, I'm excited that they got to, to play the game. It seems like everything went smooth, everything went fine. So very excited that those guys got to play and didn't get to miss out on that once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Took place in Topeka at Hummer Sports Park over the weekend. And this is some of just, in case you weren't familiar with the Shrine Bowl, some of the changes that were put into place because of COVID-19. Typically, 10,000 people come to that game. This year, only 2,000 people were allowed to be there. And that included all players, coaches, trainers, and media as well. Everybody had to social distance. Masks were required. You had to have a temperature check before you walked in. Uh, the players, they were tested. They their, their temperatures were taken twice a day in the week leading up to the game and they were screened for symptoms periodically as well and if you were a fan and you had a temperature of 100.4 or more you were not allowed in uh you know i i would i would imagine that a lot of people a lot of fans of high school football across the state of kansas more than likely they're going to be some outliers but more than likely most people are going to be willing to have their temperature checked they're going to be yeah. willing to try to social distance. They're going to be willing to wear a mask so they can watch football and so their kids can play football. I think it's a small price to pay. And I think that what the Shrine Bowl offers is a little bit of a glimmer of hope that maybe you can have a high school football season this fall. Yeah, absolutely. And it looked like there were quite a few people there. I mean, the packed isn't the right word because, you know, folks weren't necessarily packed in, but it did look like there were a lot of fans there. And, you know, I think it I think it does bode well and, and show that, hey, look, not only can we have a football season, but I I think we can have mom and dad in the stands, you know, we can have yeah. aunt and uncle there if we do it the right way and we go about this and everybody's willing to, to, you know, adhere to the, the rules and procedures we're going to put in place. We can actually have a few people watching. I mean, I think that, I think that would go a long way. Obviously the boys want to play first and foremost in, in all the sports, the girls too, and all the, the fall sports for the girls as well. But, you know, I think they want to play first and foremost, but I do think it'll, it would be a whole nother level of meaning to them if they could at least have mom, dad, brother, sister, aunt, uncle, you know, in the stands watching those games. Absolutely. I think the Kansas Shrine Bowl was a good first step. And hopefully uh, for not only the state of Kansas, but for uh, all across the country, you can look at the way that the Shrine Bowl uh, was was put into place and implemented and, you know, maybe be able to duplicate that and do it all across the country in a really safe way. So that's that's at least the hope. And, and we'll see how that goes. We're going to get into our finally funny here to wrap up keeper of the games today. And because opening day of baseball is less than 24 hours away, we're going to do a little bit of a finally funny about baseball. So, Weston, I don't know how familiar you are with Blue Jays phenom Bo Bichette. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is a guy that he looks like a rock star. He plays baseball outstanding. And this guy, with his name alone, is just the center of he can you can make jokes about him all day long in his name. And that's exactly what's happening. I don't know if you've been following this on social media, but his name has gone viral on Twitter because of everything that you can rhyme, I guess, with the word bow. So it started with uh, this Twitter user. Her name is Jordan. And literally all she tweeted was, Bo Bichette joins a frat, bro Bichette. And then it just kind of went on from there. So then people were saying things like, Bo Bichette, but he no longer exists. No Bichette. And so it just went on and on and on and on and on. I think my favorite one was something to the extent of, Bo Bichette goes grocery shopping, Costco Bichette. I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> uh, but just trying to find anything that rhymes with the word Bo, it's pretty easy to make fun of that. Yeah, it looks like even some of the MLB players were, were hopping on. Trevor Williams tweeted, uh, Pittsburgh Blue Jay, Bo Bichette wins a Heisman, Tebow Bichette. 
And then uh, a good one. I saw from Mark Craig, Boba signs with the team, but can't find a home. Hobo Bichette. I like that one. Um, let's That's see. pretty solid. <laughs> I got one for you. Yeah. So this one, this one's from a, a Twitter user named Maha. Uh, she says, Bo Bichette opens a pizzeria, Dobichette, which I think is pretty solid. <laughs> That's that good. Uh, Bo Bichette accidentally kills Santa Claus and must take his place. Ho, 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 Bichette. That's awesome. Uh, how about this one, which I think is really good. Uh, the Telltale Heart is Bo Bichette's favorite book. Edgar Allan Poe Bichette. <laughs> and a side note about Bo Bichette, for those who don't really know who he is, uh, look him up. He has fantastic hair. He's also a very, very, very good baseball player, but uh, fantastic hair. Yeah, without a doubt. And so to wrap it all up, the final one that I'll tell you, because this is from the original Twitter user who started this whole thing. Her name's Jordan. She wrapped it all up with a bow by saying, Y'all are using my Bo Bichette joke without at least crediting me. That's a low blow Bichette. <laughs> good, good for her for really bringing that back full circle. Absolutely. So that's our finally funny. And if his uh, if his baseball season is as good as those puns were, I think he might be the MVP for the American League. So that's pretty solid <laughs> there uh, for for Blue Jays. And, and we don't know if they're going to be they're not going to be Toronto. They're not going to be Pittsburgh. Well, I don't know where they're going to be. They might be Buffalo. They might be somewhere else. Uh, whoever, the, wherever the Blue Jays are playing, that's where Boba Shett, uh will be this upcoming season. So we're looking forward to that and talking more about Major League Baseball and upcoming episodes of Keeper of the Games. With that, we're going to wrap up our show. Don't forget to hit subscribe. That way, anytime we have a brand new episode of Keeper of the Games, you will get a notification. Again, you can listen to us anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts like iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher Pocket Cast, all the other ones out there. You can find us there and listen to the show. You can watch full episodes on Facebook and YouTube just by searching for Keeper of the Games. It's as simple as that. And you can watch us do this show. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's at K-O-G Pod. And Weston, I know that once Royals games actually get back into swing officially, uh, I would imagine we'll be pretty active on Twitter, at least, you know, keeping folks updated on that. Yeah, absolutely. I would say, you know, certainly scores and those kind of things from the actual CogPod uh, Twitter account, but certainly follow, follow me on Twitter at WMills94. I cannot help myself, but tweet during pretty much any Chiefs, Royals, Jayhawks game. So I'll be pretty active, um, whether it's ups, downs, criticizing, uh, tweeting out, fantastic shots of salvi doing salvi things but uh that that's what you'll get from me and I, I gotta tell you this might be one of the most fulfilling ends of a show ever because at least we know that when this show is all done we're actually going to get sports which is outstanding tommy you've said it time and time again though the one thing that we know for sure about covid is that we know nothing is for sure right so Gosh, let's let's uh... don't, don't don't rain on my parade here. Like at least we think that we're going to get some baseball happening in less than twenty four yeah, hours. Right. We're looking you're right, to you're it. right. No reason why that shouldn't shouldn't get played. So I'm excited. We'll be back next week talking talking about how the Royals did, talking about all of the other things that have been going on in the world of sports, and it'll be uh, it should be uh, back to some fun sports again. Looking to finally have a sports podcast that talks about actual sports. You bet. You can follow you can follow me on social media. By the way, at tweets from Tommy for Weston Mills. I'm Tommy Castor. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games. Take care, guys.
You've been listening to Keeper of the Games with Tommy Castor and Weston Mills. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games and follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's K-O-G-Pod. 